This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. You're listening to the Raider Cody Podcast, the official podcast of RaidersBeat.com. When you have great coaches, then after you have great coaches, you get great players, you have a great organization, and you tell them one thing. Just win, baby. You're going to get everything I got. Everything I got. Give me everything you got. Do it for the man next to you. Let's go. Let's go, Raiders on three. One, two, three. Let's go get there. We talk about rebuilding, rebuilding. How do you rebuild? I don't think that Gruden came in to rebuild. I think he came to set his roster on fire. Raider Nation, what is up? Coming to you with episode 16. It's going to be a good one. Uh, I got a good buddy coming back on for the second time, Eddie Borsili, later in the show. But first, I actually want to announce uh, for my premium content, I haven't talked about it on here for a while, and we're actually doing a jersey giveaway with it. So if you're signed up for my premium content, you're already entered to win. If you haven't yet, you have until Saturday. It's 99 cents. You sign up. You already have like six or seven something episodes queued up for you. I'm dropping another one tomorrow. Uh, get on there, 99 cents, and you get entered to win a Josh Jacobs jersey. I'm going to announce it Saturday. I'm going to email the winner. So all I have is emails of the si- people that are signed up for the premium content. I'm going to email the winner, hopefully get a hold of you guys. Hopefully you guys are entering in valid email addresses. But yeah, some good stuff. Make sure you sign up. You go to RaiderCody.com. Look for the red premium buttons. And uh, yeah, 99 cents. Get it going. Win yourself a number 28 Offensive Rookie of the Year jersey. Uh, but let's quit talking about that. Let's get into this show. Not many announcements this week. So you know what I'm going to do is I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to cheer you guys up and I'm going to give you some like enlightening like achievements and stats and I don't know, something to make you guys happy. Something to make you guys smile a little bit about our Oakland Raiders. Max Crosby has been named the AFC Defensive Player of the Week with his four sacks and a forced fumble on Sunday. Also joining now Greg Townsend as the only two players in NFL history to record three sacks in the fourth quarter of a game. That is a great company to have right there for Mad Max. I mean, he's coming out with some killer stats. I mean, you, you put him up next to Khalil Mack right now. I'm not going to say he's the same player, but when it comes to pass rushing right now, Max Crosby as a rookie, as a fourth round rookie of a D2 school, man, uh, he's looking good. He's looking promising. Now it's all about just seeing what he can do from here. Let him pack on some muscle. Let him pack on some weight. Let him get that experience a little bit more under his belt. And he, if he keeps this confidence, man, I love what he brings to the table. He looks good. He's happy. He's having a good time. Max Crosby uh, right now is a very, very bright light in Raider Nation. So real quick, looking at where Derek Carr stacks up against other quarterbacks who have played at least 10 games this year, right? I've played pretty much the full season. He's first in completion percentage with 72.3% completions. He's fourth in yards with 2,494 yards. He's fifth in yards per attempt. That's eight yards per attempt that he's averaging right now in the year. He's 13th in touchdowns with 15 total and has only five interceptions on the year. 
He also has the fourth best passer rating at 105.2 in the NFL right now. And where it gets interesting here, under pressure, Derek Carr has the highest completion percentage and highest NFL passer rating in the league. He's been phenomenal these last few weeks, especially under pressure. And that's kind of what's skyrocketed him to the top. And you know what? You got to realize as Raiders fans, even myself, I'm a, I'm a really big Derek Carr supporter, but you, we all saw that there was a need for improvement in his pocket presence. And the thing is, whenever you are a Raiders fan, all you ask out of your players is to improve. And especially, you know, there's critics out there. And you guys got to be smiling right now whenever you see that Derek Carr is actually taking the step up. He's taking the leap this offseason. And hats off to John Gruden for making that happen. But Derek Carr right now is stacking up as a top 10 quarterback in this league. And as of now, I mean, a top five quarterback, if not one of the best quarterbacks under pressure right now in this league. Things are looking up. This offense is rolling and the quarterback is rolling hot. Number four looks good. And, uh, you know, as a result, so does the rest of the offense. And now looking at running backs with more than 100 carries this season. Josh Jacobs leads the NFL in missed tackles at 62 total. He has 54 missed tackles while rushing and has the highest elusive rating in the league. Right now we have one of the most, I don't want to say dynamic running backs, but the way the moves that he has on the ground, the way he's able to make you miss, his spins, his stiff arms, he'll truck you. Uh, he, for the first time in a while, Josh Jacobs is that running back that we saw in Marshawn Lynch. You know what I mean? Marshawn Lynch, when we had him, I mean, of course he was a great running back in Seattle. He's, he was always lacking speed, but he was shifty. You know what I mean? And he had great balance on his feet, and that's Josh Jacobs right now. And the most important thing about him is he would make something out of nothing. I can't tell you how many runs that Josh Jacobs has had where you see the defense has the edge set. He should be trapped. He should be not getting past the line of scrimmage. And then he's picking up three or four yards still. He's falling forward. Uh, he has, I mean, he just has a nose for picking up yards. and It's absolutely nuts. I don't see how he ended up with a running back like Josh Jacobs. And I mean, going back now, there's a lot of people, including myself, that didn't think that a running back would go this early or, you know, in the draft. I didn't think that there was a first round talent running back in the draft, but it's mainly because of his production. And shout out to Mike Mayock and this, this scout team. However, they discovered that this running back was going to be something special. Uh, there's only a handful of running backs in the last, you know, three or four years that have come out at the level that Josh Jacobs has, and he's showing it. I mean, he's offensive rookie of the year for sure, but he's up there as a top five, maybe top three running back in the entire NFL. Now it's just all about workload. He's been a little banged up, been a little injured, um, but you know, the production's there. Now it's just you know about the volume. Tight end Darren Waller, our good buddy Darren Waller, newly extended tight end Darren Waller. He's enjoying his season, but he has the second most receiving yards at his position, and he leads his group of tight ends in yards after catch with 346 total. As my buddy James Jones would say, he's a yakster. He's got that yak, 346 total yards. I think he's only he only has like 660 uh, yard, uh, receiving yards. You know, he, he has the second most receiving yards, like 666 maybe. Uh, so over half of them are coming after the catch. The dude is making plays. Um, and also now his 56 receptions that he has, 30 of them have gone to be first downs. So more than half the time that he catches the ball, it's picking up a first down. And obviously most of those yards um, are pretty much set up in space. It's obviously the play design. That's obviously John Gruden. And that's Derek Carr selling the play and getting Darren Waller uh, the ball in some open field, man, letting him make some moves. And that's some good stuff. He's been making big plays for us all year. And I am loving, not just me, Raider Nation is loving Darren Waller right now. The Raiders' offensive line is currently top five in the league right now in pass blocking efficiency. 
allowing 12 sacks, 9 quarterback hits, 50 hurries, and 71 total pressures. I've had this question asked a lot lately because we've been talking offensive line so much. Quarterback hits is not the same as sacks because a quarterback hit comes actually after he throws it. Um, so you see him get the ball away. Maybe it was a pressure, but he also got a hit on the quarterback a little bit. So that's the difference between a hit and a sack. And this team is, I mean, right there, this offensive line is right there. This unit, I mean, you got to think too, has only been together maybe, what, two and a half games, all five of their starters. Uh, so that's fantastic uh, to have that kind of rotation. Hats off to Tom Cable to get this whole unit. I mean, whatever it is, five, six, seven of them together uh, throughout the whole season, throughout this 10 games and have this constant production, and have a top-five offensive line throughout the entire season with that rotation of players. And now, there's been a lot of praise and achievements for the offense. Now, the defense isn't quite there yet, in rankings anyways, right? There's not, there's not numbers right now to quite prove what they're doing. I would put them up in there, you know, the last few weeks, but as a whole throughout the season, they're just not quite there yet. We have our cornerback duo, Joyner and Worley. They're starting to step up. They're heating up. You know, I feel like they're starting to shut down wide receivers. Eric Harris is emerging as this ball hawk, man. I mean, I, I, I love everything about Eric Harris, and I'm feeling so comfortable with him back there as our starter. Put that guy back there in center field. He's a ball hawk. He'll hit you. I'm loving every, bit, every single bit of it, um, even with there's injuries. But we bring in DJ Swearinger to fill in just perfect until Jonathan Abram returns next year. So I feel like our secondary is shaping up so well. Um, and, and as of right now, the pass rush as a whole is kind of starting to ramp up. And that's, of course, with, you know, Max Crosby's breakout game, helping them out quite a bit. But, you know, you have Cleveland Farrell having a good game just, you know, a couple of games ago. Uh, you have Benson Mayoa out there having great games. Um, our, our new guy, Deion Jordan, getting signed. He's getting in there playing well. Jonathan Hankins on the interior is playing great. P.J. Hall getting some pressure up the middle. Uh, our defensive line, I mean, although we don't have, like, any, like, crazy breakout studs besides, like, Max Crosby as of recent, they're playing well as a unit and uh you know shout out again i feel like i can give shout outs all day long to the coaching staff of each and every single one of these guys and right now it's brinston buckner for getting these young guys together and you know making them a team and making them enjoy together getting sacks we don't have a sack artist out there trying to rack up his numbers we have a whole unit trying to get to the quarterback together and it's paying off um, but the last thing to this defense is the linebackers and they seem to be struggling a little bit especially in the run games Missing their gaps, I don't know what it is. Maybe the new linebacker, Preston Smith, will help them out a little bit. But for the most part, whenever you see your safeties leading your team in tackles, that means, obviously, the runner is getting to the next level way too much, especially when we only have like 80 or 90 passing yards, whatever they had last week, and our safeties are still leading the team in tackles. That's not good um, to hear Whitehead, Nicholas Moore, obviously struggling, struggling right there as the two main linebackers. We'll see what Preston Smith does in a press conference. John Gruden already said, you know, we hope to kind of speed him up a little bit, uh, give him like a, I forget how he warded it, basically give him a, a crash course of the defense. And I expect him to have a pretty good role in New York. We saw uh, DJ Swearinger go out there as a safety and play like 60% of the snaps. Uh, Deion Jordan didn't play a whole lot. But of course, you know, we don't have a huge need at pass rusher as much as we did at like safety and now we have a huge need at linebacker so i expect uh i expect to see preston smith out there about half the snaps now real quick let's talk about our injuries of course you know carl joseph had successful foot in, uh foot surgery on wednesday so his road to recovery is going to start now now we're going to start seeing if the raiders will be interested in his keeping his services in the next few months uh we talked about this a little bit uh, i talked about actually last night on the live stream the periscope live stream that i do on twitter but now it's just going to come down and, and, and see how Eric Harris finishes out the season. I mean, maybe DJ Swearinger proves to, you know, have another one-year contract in the future with the return of Jonathan Abram. 
the need for Carl Joseph could not be there, but it depends on him testing the market, what he comes back with. He could come back with not a huge deal or a team that's not going to guarantee him a starting spot, and he could still be a Raider on, on, on a great deal in a great situation. So that's going to be something to track, but uh, good chances that, you know, I think this is maybe the last time that we see Carl Joseph in the silver and black. Hurts me to say, but um, I think there's a good chance that that's it. Lamarcus Joyner returned to practice, but not really to practice yesterday. He just kind of stretched, and he was just kind of with the team for a little bit. Nothing huge. So his status for Sunday, in my opinion, doesn't look too promising right now, as he already missed last week with that hamstring injury. And we still have some more key starters. Jacob's still nursing that shoulder. Uh, he's you know going through limited practice. He's been doing that the last few weeks, and that's okay. He's still getting out there, and he's playing some football. And I think you know a lot of the fans are noticing him coming out on third downs, stuff like that. And I think it's because, you know, of course there's – wide receivers or I'm sorry running backs like Jalen Richard they're catching good out of the backfield but I think they're saving them from you know picking up those blocks uh, whenever they're bringing blitzes and stuff on third down I don't think that you want to take your running back that's already nursing a sore shoulder you want him in there you know carrying the ball you want him in there making plays you don't want him in there hurting his shoulder by picking up blocks uh, if there's other running backs like DeAndre Washington that can do the job let him do it until Josh Jacobs is 100% and then we still have guys Trent Brown and Rodney Hudson you know they're nursing they have you know injured knee injured ankles stuff like that but I still expect them to play all of them all three of these guys I expect all three of them to play uh, they've been playing through it they've been toughing it out they're leaders of this team they know that they're getting out there sore banged up bruised up not feeling good hurting but they're still going out there and they're producing they're playing well um, so hats off to all three of them but I definitely expect all of them to be playing and playing in full on Sunday now that's going to wrap up my little intro for this week that's going to wrap up my announcements our injuries I guess it wasn't really announcements. It was just kind of me gloating about some of the Raiders' success this year, and it's awesome. It's awesome. It's cool to even see on Twitter now, you know, we're uh, not even just Twitter, kind of everywhere. Fans are trying to backlash some analysts, and I know a lot of people are saying, like, look, you know, let's let's pump the brakes. We're not quite there yet. Our, our season could still take a dive. Yeah, I get that. But, you know, there, there's a lot of analysts that thought that this Raiders team was going to be an absolute dumpster fire with or without A.B., They've counted out, you know, John Gruden. They've counted out Derek Carr. They've counted out just about the entirety of this team. Mike Mayock, everybody. Mike Mayock was just that TV personality that wasn't going to give you a good draft class. That's all he was. They're just a bunch of TV personalities running the Raiders, and we are looking like a healthy, full-grown football team. Like, these guys are looking great. So, a little gloating right now? Completely acceptable. You know, making some guys eat some crow? Completely acceptable. But I'll tell you what. When we secure that playoff spot or when we beat Kansas City, when we do those things, I'll tell you what, I'm taking it up a notch. You know, we're going full blow. I mean, you think you're eating crow now. You think, you know, we're reminding analysts now what they were saying. It's going to be even worse. And, and that's what it's about as Raiders fans. You know what I mean? We're, we're not players. Let the players pump the brakes and focus on the wins, right? As fans, just enjoy it. Get out there. Talk some crap. That's what everybody does. So get out there. Take part. We don't always have this opportunity to do it every year. So let's do it now. Let's enjoy it. And uh, yeah. So we're going to transition into our special guest I was telling you about earlier, Eddie Borsili. This is his second time joining the show. Uh, he joined, this would be, I guess, pretty much one of the first events in the offseason uh, during the Senior Bowl over there in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, he came on with Chris and I, and we chopped up some football things. We talked all, th- all rumors going on throughout the offseason. Uh, talked Antonio Brown. We talked Mike Mayock's impact. We talked about a bunch of things. So I want to revisit some of those things. Um, a lot of things, you know, were pretty correct. I was actually really surprised with how the offseason went 
Eddie's very well in the loop with a lot of stuff. Um, I love his insight. He has a great football mind. He knows a lot of things about, especially the Oakland Raiders. Um, and he's a part of the NFL Sirius XM uh, radio station. So you know he's not going to be feeding you poor, entertaining stats. So let's get him in here. Let's get my buddy Eddie in here. He's in one of my fantasy football leagues as well. So let's get him in here. Let's chop up some football. We're going to take this quick break. And uh, yeah, when we come back, joining me is going to be my buddy, Eddie Borsili. So joining me now, the executive producer for the Sirius XM NFL radio channel 88, a not-so-undercover Raiders fan, and an East Coaster who's preparing to head to the game this weekend versus the Jets. This is my buddy, Eddie Bersili. What is going on, dude? Cody, what's up, man? Pleasure to be on with you again. It's been a long time. A lot's happened since we last talked, but uh, happy to be here. Happy to be uh, going to the game on Sunday, man. What's up? Oh, uh, you know, just enjoying this, coming off a three-game win streak, man. It's it's nice. It's... uh. Kind of relieving, I guess you could say, but still low-key stressful. Um, I hate going up against you know a team like the Bengals. I'm glad we came away with a win, but you get scared playing teams like these. You know, everyone says trap games, and and you know I don't want to say that the Raiders aren't playing in any trap games, but it does make me really nervous going into every single matchup every single Sunday. You know what I mean? It's funny you say that because I I would I would make the case that going into the Bengals game last week or going into the Jet game this week. I'm more nervous going into these football games against these type of teams than I will be December 1st against the Chiefs or against, you know, the Titans or the Jaguars or if we go back against the Texans. It's just because, you know, at the stage of the season they're at, 6-4, and four, they're, you know, on the cusp of the playoffs playing well. Again, you're exactly right. You don't want them to slip up. You don't want them to do anything that's going to jeopardize, you know, their playoff lives. And the way they played against the Bengals. Now, again, Jacobs fumble away. You know, there's a couple turnovers here and there. But, you know, they really didn't play good football. Come to the East Coast, a 1 o'clock game is always dangerous. I, I would say, the you know, the temperature right now for this football team is a little nervous. I think around the fan base, I'm, I'm a little nervous about this football game. Uh-huh. But, again, they're the Jets. I lived in the East Coast my entire life. You know, the Jets know how to screw things up when it comes down to it. So, again, I, I, I think I think in the end, man, it's, it's going to turn out okay. But I understand what you're saying. I mean, I, these type of games make me really nervous. Yeah, I know what you mean, man. Um, you know, and I forgot to mention, I, I've been meaning to thank you, Eddie, because right now you are the only reason that I'm not dead last in our fantasy football league. So, you know, thanks for that. <laughs> Listen, man, I went into that, I went into that draft and I, I was like, I'm going to grab all these receivers. I'm going to have a real, yeah, you know, I'm going to have a lot of things. I could trade a couple pieces. My strategy backfired totally. This is why when I tell people and they come to me for fantasy advice, I tell just go away. Don't listen to anything I have to say. Yeah. Even though I work in the industry and I'm around football every single day in my life, Obviously, I don't know what I'm talking about. I have Mike Thomas, Adam Thielen, Amari Cooper, Odell Beckham on my football team, and I'm the worst team in the league. Go figure. 
<laughs> Who would have guessed? Who would have guessed, man? I'm t- I hate fantasy football. I haven't been tuned in that much myself. Um, I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll blame that. I guess I've been a little unplugged, but yeah, it's uh, it's kind of just been a wild fantasy football year, anyways. Uh, you know, you see guys like DeAndre Hopkins underwhelming. The only thing I will say, I feel like this is the first time in a long time, uh, like the two top running backs going into this thing, besides Barkley's injury. Yeah. But having McCaffrey and Barkley going one and two, pretty much probably everywhere. Yeah. They're actually living up to their hype. So that's probably the only thing that's been solid for fantasy football this year. Yeah, man, it's it's a it's a weird world to get into. I mean, <clears throat> a lot of guys live and die by it. But it's weird. You got you have those five or you know five to seven bell cows and guys that you know are going to get you points every week, and then everything else is just a crapshoot, man. It really is. You know, you have the Texans game tonight. Hopkins has two D, two TDs, but there's weeks, there's five weeks he goes, he doesn't have a touchdown. I don't know, man. This is again why I tell people when they ask me for advice on on gambling or fantasy. Yeah, I'll give you my I'll give you my opinion, but just stay far away because it's probably wrong. Because <laughs> nobody, knows, to be honest, nobody really knows what's going on. Yeah, don't blame me for it. Uh, now, man, the last yeah. time we talked, uh, you're at the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama, and the one thing that the main thing that we talked about the most, of course, was Mike Mayock's possible impact and the rookie class. You know that was going to come along with him. And as a whole, now, I mean, looking at the impact that he's done just to the rookies or the rookie class that he's brought in, how do you think he did? You know, it's funny, man. I, I mean, going into it, nobody really knew what to expect from Mike Mayock, right? Yeah. He's a guy coming out of the TV booth. You know, you know, Gruden, everybody will say, you know, Gruden came out of the TV booth, but Gruden had a track record of doing it before. Mayock never had a track record. Mike, yeah. Mayock was a former DB. He goes into television. He's, he's really good on TV. And then he comes out and says, like, hey, you know, I want to try my ring in, in, in the personnel business. So no, nobody really un- knew what Mike Mayock would bring to it. And <clears throat> when you see him at the Senior Bowl, We've talked to him many times at the Senior Bowl. He's a great evaluator of talent, but you didn't know if the evaluating that he did on television was going to translate to the football field. Yeah. And obviously, he saw traits in guys. Now, when you're on TV, you have to kind of you have to kind of play the TV role. You can't kill everybody. You can't be super negative. You can't be super positive. But he targeted guys. He knew good football players when he saw them. Mm-hmm. He's at the Senior Bowl in Mobile. You know, he's, he's watching all this film. And I really think it was an asset. You know, at the time when we talked in Mobile, he didn't know. He didn't know the dynamic. He didn't know if Mayak was going to say, hey, I really like this guy. And John Gruden's going to be like, you know what? I like this guy. We're going to take this guy. Because yeah. year one in John Gruden, let's be honest, that's what kind of happened, right? Yeah. So when Mayock takes over, there's <clears throat> kind of a, give, a, a little give and go. And even at the combine last year, you saw the kind of Gruden. I want to. I want this type of player to to the Mayock. I want this type of player. And you know what? I think Mike Mayock won out a little bit because you see the type of players. You know, you say what you will about Cleveland Furl at number four. He's the type of player that Mike Mayock said is a foundational player. He came on SiriusXM NFL Radio on my show and said, hey, these are, these are foundational players. Obviously, Josh Jacobs and Abram and all these guys are foundational players. So I think that Mayock had a plan going in. No one really knew, myself included, what we, he was going to do for real as, a, as an actual general manager. But the guy did his homework. He, he's obviously a good evaluator of talent. And I think him and Gruden saw through all the, the, the minutia uh, of the job and finally got down to it and picked really good football players. No, I agree. And and what makes me excited even more about Mayock is I felt like he had, you know, of course, we were still wondering talent evaluation. It's still up in the air. It's going to take this first year to understand if he was going to be the real deal or not. But, you know, the biggest issue or the biggest question was him going into his first ever real draft, you know, being in that sure. war room and going through the motions as a real general manager and 
one thing that he said before the draft was almost that he was a little weary of those, you know, top picks. You know, he didn't really yeah. like one through fifteen or one through twenty, whatever that was. He liked, you know, like twenty through eighty. He he likes that range. Um, yeah, there's a lot of pressure on it. Yeah. And now we're dealing with what we have five or six picks again in the top one hundred. Um, we have a lot of capital, of course. We have our two first round picks. Do you think that there's a possibility now that he, you know he's got a little experience under the belt now? I mean, not a whole lot, but he knows what's going to happen now. At least he knows the motions. He's no he knows what he's going into. Do you think uh, we see a little bit more trading back? Do you think we load up some more picks um, in those? I mean, look at like Trayvon Mullen. Look at like Max Crosby. Look at those guys in that range. Do you think sure. that he keeps trying to land those gold mines in that range next year, or are we trading up? What what you think he's getting aggressive? higher up on the board, or you think we're trying to trade back and load up on more picks where he thinks that's a sweet spot? So it's a good question. I think I, I think the trade of Gary and Connolly to the Texans, right, to get a third-round pick, I think he, he values those picks in, in, in the mid-rounds, like you said. He values the second, third, fourth, fifth-round picks because he knows, you know, look, no roster has been in, built in the NFL just on first-round picks yeah. because more, more often than not, these first-round picks, sometimes, you know, they, 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 they fell out. And you just, you know, guys take – chances on players that have traits and it doesn't hit. So you're built in it. Look at the Indianapolis Colts that are playing football tonight. I mean, a lot of these picks are built on second, third, fourth round guys that, that build the meat of your team. And I think Max a big guy like that, that, yeah, you need the studs. You need the Josh Jacobs of the world. Yeah, but you also need the Max Crosby's of the world. You also you need the Al Ingles of the world. You need the Foster mm-hmm. Moreau's of the world to fill out your roster. And maybe, you know, maybe they'll make a Pro Bowl one day, but maybe they'll just be eight or nine year pros that will fill out your roster and be good football players and make the rest of your roster feel good. So I think the trade of Conley to get a third-round pick, look, the draft's a long time away. We don't know where the Bears are going to finish. We don't know where the Raiders are going to finish. We don't know where their picks are. They don't have a second-round pick. To me, it's either twofold, right? It's either you have two first-round picks and you're going to go up and take those two first-round picks and go get a stud stud in the top three, which I don't think they're going to do. I think they sit, they sit back, they take two really good football players in the first or take one really good football player with the first pick, which is the Bears pick. Well, let's hope they lose every single game for the rest <laughs> of the year. <laughs> and then, you know, you take that last first-round pick and maybe you trade back and recoup a second. So you have two seconds, you go into the third with three-thirds, and you keep building the football team with young football players. The nucleus is there right now after this, you know, let's just be honest, excellent draft he's had for the first time. Keep building with young football players. So, you know, it's too early to say what what he'll do. My bet would be he'll try to get those core football players. You know, with two first-round picks, you have a luxury, right? Yeah. You're going to get one really good football player, maybe trade back and, and get another second-round pick and, and start to build this roster. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I didn't mean to talk this much about the draft, but I got one more question for you because I like your insight on this. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of good things in this draft class. I don't know too many people complaining, but if they do complain – it's about number 96, Cleveland Farrell. Um, sure. You know, we've even had Buckner come out yeah. and he said, like, look, you know, we're not out here trying to draft some sack artists. We're drafting a football player. Um, what's your take on Cleveland Farrell? Do you think that this is really the guy that they drafted? Um, or is there some disappointment or, you know, maybe there's just a little ceiling that we haven't quite seen yet? So, uh, <clears throat> to me, when the pick happened, you know, you have the range of emotions. You're like, all right, this is a really productive football player. He came from a good school. But you understand why, you know, the critics didn't come out and say, you could have got a more impactful player. And, yes, they could have got a more impactful player, number four. Josh Allen's having a really good football year. I mean, there's a lot of guys that are having big-time football seasons this year. Cleveland Furl is a winning football player. 
I'm, I'm not going to say he's ever going to be a 15-sack guy. He's probably never going to be a 15-sack guy. But you know what? If he's a guy that comes in and stops the run and gets you six to eight sacks, look, when he played in Clemson, he played on a really, really talented defensive line, okay, with talented guys on the, uh, in the middle and Dex Lawrence and all those type of guys. So he always had guys around him that were really, really good. So if the Raiders build up that line, you have a Max Crosby that turns into a, an impactful player, Maybe you draft somebody. Maybe you sign somebody. So, Cleo Farrell, <clears throat> it takes the pressure off a little bit. Do I think he was drafted a little bit too high? Sure. I think he was drafted a little bit too high. Do I think they could have got him in the 20s? Maybe, but you never know. Everybody said that about Daniel Jones and the New York Giants. Oh, the Giants reached a little bit getting Daniel Jones at six. You don't know. Yeah. Maybe this player wasn't going to be there. Maybe a team would have taken him in the teens, and you don't have that foundational player. So, yeah. is he the impactful, sexy pick at four? No. And I get it. People want the stats, they want the sacks and all that type of stuff. Do I think he could be a, a contributing pro for 10 to 12 years? Yes. And I think he'll only get better against the pass. I think he'll only get better in the sack department. He's already good against the run. So I think he's a really good football player. He's got to refine his skills a little bit and turn into a good pro. Yeah, no, that's a great take. And I agree with you 100%. And also, it's just an easy thing to forget that, you know, I like to think drafting a top five player, you want that immediate impact but with a guy like Cleveland Farrell I mean he might not quite be that straight immediate impact player he might not be exactly who we wanted right the sack artist that's what everyone in Raider Nation wanted but he but has have, the intangibles we, I'm not to cut you off but we have the sack artist right now yeah Matt Crosby's playing out, playing out of his mind if, if you weren't getting that production from that position group all right I could see the critics coming out and saying hey you had the fourth pick of the draft you could have took an impactful guy and you didn't but we're getting the production. Yeah. You saw it from Fur- you saw the traits from Furl in the Charger game. I don't care if it's backup tackles; it's still NFL players. You saw what this guy could do in the football field when when he wants to. So I think again, the production will come from him. Yeah, and we're there as a unit. So I I agree with you 100 percent. Now, um, another talk that we had while you were over there in Mobile was about number 84. Um, I'm not going to say his name because it just kind of pisses me off. But um, yeah. Don't really want to go into specifics with that whole situation, but you were concerned with his locker room issues. Whenever this is this is pre-trade, this is whenever just rumors were starting to swirl. Um, but you also thought that the trade made the most sense according to the roster for his talent on the field, right? But um, you also thought we'd have a quiet free agency, which I think would have been the idea. Then we traded for him, and I think it flipped a switch. We 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 turned it up a notch. I mean, we made some splashes. We went out. We got Tyrell Williams because he wanted to play with AB. We got Joyner. We got Trent Brown. I mean, we I mean immediately went out and got Trent Brown, um, kind of in the hopes of look. Now it's not a rebuild. We're gonna we, we might have potential to win now, but now that number eighty four is gone, and he left behind the rest of the team that was built around winning now. Is there? I mean, of course we're winning football games. We're six and four. I'm not really. I'm not concerned about this year. What do you think that's done for our future? Do you think we still have a solid foundation there? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it's a good question. Again, I mean, so that was always, a, it goes back to your, to your first question about Mayak on Gruden. So what's, what's the push and pull, right? Gruden's a football coach that wants to win football games. And he's talked about the 10-year plan and all this kind of stuff and yeah. bringing the Raiders back, and I get that. But he still goes out there every Sunday and wants to win football games, right? Yeah. So when a guy like Antonio Brown, and the, the, the thing with Antonio Brown is, and when I told you, when, I, when we talked about Mobile, on the field was never a problem with Antonio Brown. He's one of the top 
five talents in all of football. Not just a wide receiver. He's incredible. He, he's a, an incredible worker. He's an incredible talent. You would be crazy to not want this guy on your football team from a talent point of view. Yeah. But from the off-the-field stuff, we saw it unfold in front of our eyes. We saw this guy completely unravel from the, the helmet to the cleats to, to burning his feet off to everything that he did to celebrating like a clown that he did for getting his release from the Raiders. I mean, you saw what it was. A lot of the things that happened in Pittsburgh – and I, I'll credit Mike Tomlin here. Mike Tomlin <clears throat> was a great locker room guy because he kept everything in-house. He kept the Antonio yeah. Brown missing meetings in-house. He kept the Antonio Brown falling asleep in meetings in-house because the guy is such a ta- – we all know talented football players play by different roles. It's just mm-hmm. the way the world works, right? Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> I mean, he kept all that, all that stuff in-house until it got to too much, and he quit on his football team. So, <clears throat> I mean, you have to take a chance on a guy like that. Would he help the offense? Yes. Was a kick in the pants for for Raider Nation. It was a horrible, horrible situation what this guy did for the football team. But I think on the other end, he was never around this football team. He was never there to influence the younger guys or to to to, to leave a no. negative connotation on this football team. So I think when you look at it on the surface, you're like, oh, if you take Antonio Brown off this roster, the roster isn't as good. But but when you look at it, the roster might be better off without him because you get that money back to, to spend on, on different players. The production from the wide receivers is obviously not there. And, it's, you know, the, the obviously glaring weakness from this football team is going to be a, a really top, top flight wide receiver. Mm-hmm. But in the grand scheme of things, if Antonio Brown is here, you know, you've you got to force him to football. You've got to do all those things. So I think on the flip side, I think without him being here, it's almost better for this football team that has a young roster besides Derek and besides a couple players because <clears throat> young guys get their opportunity. The ball's going to Darren Waller. The ball's going to Tyrell Williams. The ball's going to Josh Jacobs. It's not being force-fed to Antonio Brown. And not to mention, they have all this cap room to play with. So as much as it was a kick in the pants and the guy was a total ass clown, I, I mean, nothing made me more frustrated than this guy in the offseason and the crap he pulled because it was, it was – just ridiculous crap that he pulled. But I think the Raiders will come out smelling like roses on the other side because, hey, yeah, they took a chance. They gave up draft picks, but they're not going to pay this guy. They could pay somebody else that wants to be an Oakland Raider, and they're going to keep on building that young nucleus. If they have all these draft picks and they could spend money on, on players that want to be here, that are young players, I think they're better off in the end. I'll never forget the. I mean, he was late to his introductory press conference, man. It's so crazy from from the I'll, very I'll tell, beginning. I'll tell you this, Cody. I, I really haven't said this, this this in public before. I was in Napa for SiriusXM NFL Radio. We were there doing Raiders camp for two days with Jim Miller and Pat Kerwin, and I was in the, we stayed at the Marriott in Napa, and I walked into the Napa Marriott Concierge Lounge in the morning, and you know we had gotten wind that Antonio Brown might be there. And, you know, it was the day before, and, and it, it turned into the day of. And I walked into the concierge lounge, and he was sitting there just sipping orange juice like nothing happened in the world. And I was like, this guy, you know, as much as it, you know, he, he came out and said, oh, this, this burns him up, and he wants to play football, you could just tell in his face that it's all about him. It's always been about Antonio Brown. It's always been about... 84 and his stats and all that and people could say he's a hard worker i saw it on his face from the moment i looked at him it was all about him and i think the team is better off without him to be honest 
Crazy, 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 man. And I will thank him, though, because I think uh, he pissed off enough teammates that whenever I was there at that Monday night game, the home opener, uh, that team came out fired up, man, enough to just start beating the brakes off at the beginning of the Broncos, man. They, I mean, even uh, – you don't see a whole lot of this out of Derek Carr, but, I mean, he was on the field warming up, and he was pissed. So uh, Yeah, I mean, and you know, Derek uh, – look, Derek's the quarterback, and Derek wants a talent like that. Nobody – if I'm a quarterback, I want to throw it to Antonio Brown. I mean, yeah. let's be honest here. You want to throw him the football, but after a while, you know, is, is the juice worth the squeeze? And it just wasn't with this guy. And I, I really hope as we sit here tonight, on this night, this guy never gets a chance again because he's a, he's a team destroyer, yeah. he's a team killer, and he's just a prick. I'm sorry. Agreed. On the bright side, we went through Khalil Mack, we went through Amari Cooper, we went through Antonio Brown, we're sitting here 6-4 and four off a three-game sweep at home. Um, looking to, you know, I mean, make a push hopefully for the AFC West here and win some more football games, but, you know, I, I know you're you're going to the game this weekend uh, in New York against the Jets. When was the last time you went to a Raiders game? <clears throat> the last time I went to a Raiders game was 2016 in Baltimore. The Michael Crabtree game when he had a couple touchdown catches uh, versus the Ravens and we got out of there with the win. I'm going with the New York City Black Hole chapter. We went in 2016. We took a bus to Baltimore. That was the last. I work every single Sunday for SiriusXM NFL Radio, so I only get a, a, a you know a chance here and there to go to games. I chose the game in 2016 to go to uh, to the Baltimore game. So that was the last game. That's a good game. Uh, I was at. So I'm I'm excited to get back out there. And see everybody. You know, they don't do well in MetLife Stadium. I, again, I know it's a, it's a 1 o'clock kick and everybody, you know, frets about that. The weather's not supposed to be great. It's supposed to rain pretty heavy in the morning. It's supposed to taper off by kickoff. And it's going to be about 45 degrees, which is pretty nice for this time of year. But, again, these, are, these East Coast games aren't uh, the easiest in the world. So, last game I was at against Baltimore, Crabtree had a big game. I'm expecting a big game, too. I, I, you know, look. I, I said to you, you know, before we get on this, this is the Jets, man. I mean, <laughs> as a New York guy, as an East Coast guy, the Jets always know how to screw it up. This is not a powerful football team. The Raiders should be able to take care of business this week. Yeah, simple as that. Um, it, it's hard for me as a fan, too. Looking at the Jets, I worry about them, but it's like I can't help but look ahead one more week, and we're going into Kansas City. And you know what's hard is I didn't realize this until just like yesterday that Kansas City is on a bye this week. So it's like that's yeah. all they're doing is just sitting here just ready to play us. <laughs> well, Andy, Andy Reid off a bye is almost – I mean, if you look at his stats off a bye, I think he's like 12-1 and one off a bye. It's some, it's some yes. ridiculous number. Andy Reid's a great coach. Off a bye, he's even better. In Kansas City, which has been like a house of horrors for Derek Carr. Look, th- again, that makes this game versus the Jets so much more important mm-hmm. because if they get to 7-4 seven, seven and four versus the Jets – Look, let's all be honest here. There's a little wiggle room. They can lose the Kansas City game. I want to win the Kansas City game more than anything. Mm-hmm. I would love to go to Arrowhead and beat the crap out of them. But if they lose the Kansas City game 7-5, and you still get home games versus the Titans and Jaguars where you can get it done. So this is why, to me, this game against the Jets is paramount that they come out with a W because yeah. if you lose this football game 6-5 and five, and you go to Kansas City, we could be looking up in two weeks, this team in 500 fighting for a playoff spot. And, you know, against two AFC South teams, I mean, you never know. So this is, to me, Cody, I don't know how you feel. To me, this is the most important game of the season. Yeah, well, you know what? I feel like it's just kept building up every single game. I mean, besides maybe like the second game. You know, we go one and one. Uh, and you're like, okay, we, you know, we, we don't want to have a losing record. we got to win this. Okay, we're one and two. And then from there on out, it seems like every single game now building up 
And that's kind of, you know, the position that we've put ourselves in as Raiders fans. We've never been a team that sits in an easy division. We've never been a team that has an easy path to the playoffs. So once you get over that hump, once you're, you know, eight, nine games into the season, now it's just like, man, like you you have to just keep this thing going. And it sucks because I, I have this hunch, especially like you see it in Cincinnati. I don't want to say that we sandbag. But I feel like that there's a way, like, John Green's not going to go out there and show all of his cards to Cincinnati. He's not going to go out there and show all of his cards to the Jets whenever he plays the Kansas City Chiefs right after that. You know what I mean? I feel like at some point, as a head coach, you kind of filter and you're like, okay, you know, let's game plan smart. Let's do enough to win the football game. You know, let's control the tempo. Let's not do, do anything too crazy. And I feel like that sometimes, that's what gives us the heart attacks as Raider fans lately. <laughs> well, you saw that. I mean, go back to 2016. I mean... 2016 to 12-4, was there an easy game? Even the game versus the Colts, and I hate even bringing it up because Carr got hurt, even the game versus the Colts, the Raiders would, would go out to these big-time leads, you know, up up 17, up 20, and, you know, they would kind of start playing a little prevent defense, and, and the team would start coming back to make it closer. Yeah. They never play a game that's easy. They never yeah. go to a game of 21-0, 28-7, 35-10, there's never a game like that. This team, yeah. I know, I know we all, I know we all love them. I know, you know, we live and die by it. But they never play a game where we could sit there in the third quarter and go, you know what, we got this game. Like you know, like last week <laughs> yeah. should have been that game at home versus Cincinnati Bengals. They should have yeah. took care of business. Now, if Jacobs doesn't fumble, if Carr doesn't throw the pick, you know, maybe it's twenty-eight-seven and we could breathe a little easy. But it's never an easy football game with this football team. That's why, like when they said last week, spreads twelve points. I said to people, I'm like, <clears throat> you know, I would take the Bengals with the points because it just, the, you know, the, the, the Raiders, as Raider fans, they never make it easy. It's always, you know, something that's going to come down to the last minute, even if the defense is playing that. So, I, I mean, I, I see this game the same way. The Jets have a good run defense. You know, the Cars going to have to have a good game. If the, if the conditions are a little bit wet, if it's a little bit cold, it concerns me a little bit. The defense is going to have to play a little bit. I mean, but again, you're playing the Jets. Sam Darnold's a turnover machine. He's played really good the last two weeks for us really crappy football teams. Mm-hmm. So on paper, the Raiders should be able to go in there, like you said, control the temple and win this football game. But like you said, it, it's just never an easy football game. Yeah, well, lucky for you. like It's been a while since you've been to a football game, but at least you get to go there now, get kind of a weekend off, go hang out, enjoy the tailgate. And you said you're going to the Black Hole, the NYC tailgate. Uh, give us some details on that. I know there's a lot of Raider Nation here that's listening that's going to be traveling to New York. Uh, where are you going to be at? And Is there any, uh, I guess, recommendations uh, for you know first-time travelers? <clears throat> yeah, man, I said this to a couple guys. Well, first of all, the tailgate's going to mean a lot L, a lot L's and Larry. Uh, Raider Nation, NYC Black Hole's going to be there. It's the North Jersey, it's the New York, it's the Philly, it's the Baltimore, and the D.C. chapters. We're going to have a ton of food, we're going to have a ton of beer, a ton of drinks. Come by and, and hang out with everybody. We're going to have a good time. It's supposed to be a little bit wet in the morning, but we're going to leave really early. We're, we're going to get there about 7.30 in the morning. So There we go. <clears throat> we're going to have a good time. <clears throat> Look, as a lifelong East Coast guy, there's going to be a couple Raider, in the city, there's a couple Raider bars in the city, there's a couple Raider bars in Midtown. I'm a Staten Island guy at heart. If you come into the city for the first time as somebody from the West Coast, somebody from the South, somebody from the North, if you're traveling here, make a little time to come to Staten Island. It's only a couple miles away. It's only it's the next borough over. Come, there's two pizza two two pizzerias that I that I will recommend highly: Lee's Pizzeria and Danino's. You will never have better pizza in your entire life. And I know I'm mm-hmm. biased as an East Coast guy, but pizza is my life here. Lee's and Danino's in Staten Island. Make the time. Come over. 
Don't spend too much time in Staten Island, but come over and eat the pizza. We're going to have a good time in, in Lot L. We're going to be out there really early, so come by and have a, have a good time out there. There we go. So that's L Lot right there for uh, Eddie's tailgate with the, with the NYC Black Hole. And then also make sure you guys check out our old buddies, the Pillaging Podcast. They'll be set up right next to them. Uh, I think it's between L Lot and J Lot. I think it's the Charter Bus parking lot, if I remember reading this right. Uh, so swing through, you'll see the Pillaging Podcast banners hanging up everywhere. You got a couple spots to swing through if you're coming over here from the West Coast. Uh, see what's going on. Meet the meet the East Coast Raider fans and us. MetLife Stadium is going to have a lot of black in it. There's a lot of East Coast Raider fans. There's going to be a lot of people in there uh, representing Raider Nation. So it's going to be a good crowd. Good stuff, man. Hey, it was nice talking to you for a second time. I think we need to start setting up a third time in the near future, huh? Yeah, man. Anytime you want, man. I'm always available. Happy to talk, man. We, sometimes as Raider fans, we got to vent, man. So happy to do it. <laughs> it feels good sometimes. It feels good. Raider Nation, uh, if you like what you're hearing, this is my good buddy, Eddie. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter. That's at Borsili, B-O-R-S-I-L-L-I. Uh, you will not regret it. His timeline is not a dumpster fire like mine, so it's good to get over there and, and breathe a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Eddie, thanks for coming on, man. I'm sure we'll talk soon. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. That was a really good chat with Eddie. Uh, the first time we talked to him, he was actually one of my first big guests that came onto the show, uh, courtesy actually of writersbeat.com. Uh, I was a friend of his. And, you know, we've kind of grown our friendship, our, our Twitter friendship, I guess, our Raider Nation friendship over the last few months. And, you know, if you guys are listening to this right now, find him on Twitter. Make sure you follow him at Borsili and tell him how much you appreciated him coming on this podcast because I'd love to get him on here a lot more. Uh, really good dude to pick his brain a little bit. It's just one of those guys that you could automatically, I mean, you could just ask him, you know, like, how are the Raiders doing? And he's just going to, you know, ramble off uh, a great, authentic opinion. Uh, always level-headed, never reactionary, always good stuff. Eddie Borsili, good dude. Uh, and you follow him on Twitter. He's a funny guy. So, Raider Nation, thanks for tuning in. Um, and if you're listening now ahead of the Jets game, don't forget to call in your post-game reactions for me and Kenny King on Sunday night. That's 808-650-7220. As soon as the game's over, you have all the way until like 8 o'clock to call in your opinion. So that's giving you four plus hours. When is the game? Oh, no, that's even longer than that. Uh, You're from 1 o'clock to 8 o'clock. You got seven hours, basically, uh, almost seven hours to call in your opinion, uh, your reactions. And, And you guys have been doing good. They've been short. They've been sweet. We've been able to bust through them especially because we've been getting a lot. Uh, what I'm going to start doing is I, I'm actually going to start skipping over the longer ones. So if you guys leave a voicemail that's over like, you know, well over a minute, um, you might get skipped. So keep it 30 seconds, 45 seconds. Um, you know, keep it within the realm of entertainment. And I will make sure to keep playing your phone calls so we don't ramble on too long and keep the phone calls going for too long. Uh, but yeah, Raider Nation, thanks for tuning in. We are 6-4 and four on the road to 7-4. and four. And things are trending up the silver and black. It's fun to be a Raider Nation fan right now. Um, And we're loving it. So until next week, everybody, or should I say until Sunday night, I'll see you guys later.